Holly Whitaker. And I am Laura McCowan. And this is Home Podcast. Hello. Tuesday. Hey. Hey. Tuesday. Hey, Tuesday. Yeah, it is. Hey, guys. Hey, Holly. Hey, Laura. Hello, everybody. Um. This is hard because we just did an intro for a different episode, so we kind of did our catch up. <laughs> yeah. So, what are you wearing? So, mate, <laughs> what's so the what weather like? Actually, I do want to talk about the weather because part. I'm in LA and it's so weird. It is like 80 something degrees out. I'm like sweating and I'm in shorts and a tank top. September. Yeah. It's like September, what, 20th? Almost. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. I love it. It is. It is weird. You're in a different world. It's. It makes it's me so happy. I did not. I actually really love the fog. I did not realize though how, um, how happy being warm makes me. It's like, mm-hmm. oh God, it's so good. Okay. Um. So weather like there is it cold? What's it going? What's no, going on? It's not cold. It's just fall. September is the best month in New England. I think by far. By far, far, far. I like the October in New England, New England, because of the you know colors. Yeah, the fall in general is you know it's pretty hard to beat. But September is still it's like the best sunsets. The air starts to turn. You still get some hot days, so you can do the beach. But I have always loved it. I always think it's the best, and it always goes really fast. Yeah, September goes fast mm-hmm. for some reason. It always does. Um, okay, so why don't you talk very quickly about um, any things. things that you would like to tell the people about? Okay, people. So a couple things I will put out there. I am, if you're when you're hearing this, so you're going to be very, very close to uh, the Bainbridge Island Washington retreat that I'm hosting with Meadow DeVore at Islandwood and we may or may not have a few spots left by that time when this airs, but all the info is on my website. Uh, I cannot wait to do these events with Meadow. And there are, if you are someone who's like, I'm going to hold out for one that's coming in the future, we don't have any solidly planned for the future yet. There is this one and that's all we know of right now. And uh, there will probably be other ones, but don't hold out. So that's October 13th through the 16th uh, in Bainbridge. And you can find all the info on my website uh, along with other events that I have coming up. That's it for me. Awesome. And uh, just a reminder to you all that Laura and I are trying to support a higher quality show. We have a sound engineer now. We have some administrative help. And we really need your support. And so if you enjoy the show and also enjoy not having to adjust your volume up and down throughout, um, it would be awesome if you guys could support us. There's a couple ways you can do that. One, we have a donation button on our website, homepodcast.org. Or two, we sell some amazing and fantastic merchandise on our store on Store Envy, which you can also access through our website, homepodcast.org. Um, so those are two great ways that you can help some sisters out. Um, we appreciate every, like, like mm-hmm. seriously, every single penny. penny counts and is so 
unbelievably appreciated by the two of us. Um, yeah, and we've made it really easy to do the recurring, by the way. So if you're someone who's like, I don't want to think about it, you mm-hmm. can set it up so you make a very small donation every month. Yes. Um, and then for me personally, Hip Sobriety School starts October 13th, uh, which is uh, about a week away from when this will air. I am hoping there will be spots left. Uh, you can check it out at the Hip Sobriety Project. Com. Again, that's the hip sobriety project.com. Uh, but it's an eight week uh, online group coaching course slash school to help you build a solid foundation and recovery. All right. So, Mark Manson, yo. Yeah, Mark Manson. So, we have, we have Mark Manson on the show today and we have this conversation um, right before he launched his first, it's his second book, uh, but I think this is a different kind of book than his first one. This is sort of his big, um, big push for a a book. And it includes a lot of the work that he, that he is known for uh, the topics that he's known for talking about. So his, book is called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, which is also the title of his most popular blog post. Um, If you haven't seen that blog post floating around, I don't know where you've been. (laughs) Elizabeth Gilbert shared it, um, I think, last year, and and it kind of took fire. And uh, it's great. And his and both of us have read the book um, and we had a conversation with him, not just about what's in the book, but sort of about how he came to be doing what he's doing. And it, I think, was a surprising conversation for both of us um, because I personally knew a good amount or thought I knew a good amount about him because he is someone who blogs and uh, sort of like us discloses a good amount about his own life. But really, um we dug into his past and mostly relationship stuff, which is what he writes about a lot. He sort of focuses on relationships, um, both healthy and unhealthy ones. And he focuses on dating. He talks a lot to dudes about you know, how to date better uh, and more successfully. And he talks a lot about sort of productivity and passion and finding you know your purpose in your life. And I would say he's sort of the anti-self-help voice. Um, and that's sort of what he positions his book to be about. His website is markmanson.com and you can find all his great writing on there. He does a lot of good work. Um, I personally like this book. So I, yeah, I think that's all I want to say before we just get right into the conversation. What else, what did you think about it? Well, I thought it was funny because I was really pissed at you for asking him to come on at first. I mean, if we're being yeah. honest, um, I like. Yeah. Why were you pissed? Ugh, because he because you read his words and he's a bro, and like the kind of guy that I'm just like, please, I do not need to hear from you. Um, it's me, it's my shit, you know. And he just like, ugh. Um, and I mean, that was my reaction. I was mad at you, wasn't I? I was pretty mad. I was just yeah, like, I don't, like, I don't, I don't want to do this. Why do we have to do this? I don't want to do this. Um. And I actually was, it's funny because the second I heard his voice, I was like, oh, you know, he's actually, uh, he is a really sweet guy. And this conversation was really, it was really humbly. It wasn't humbling. It was, it was a humble conversation. Whereas like a lot of this, like a lot of the, in my mind, I had 
pictured this, like the, you know, I don't know if you ever read that book, God, what was the name of that guy that wrote, he was like one of the first ones, kind of like Chelsea Handler, but a dude, um, hold on. Oh, oh, Tucker Max. Yes. Did you ever read that book? (laughs) Yes. Okay, yes. I love the book, but I hated the book. And I was just of like, did. I was you like, thought he was a Tucker Max. Yes, that's mm. exactly what I thought. And, you know, mm-hmm. anyway, so I, um, I found him to be just, I found him to be sweet and honest. And I loved this conversation. I loved how, you know, he thought, I, I really love how when we approach certain subjects, um, he thought about it. He was open. Like, he just wasn't, he was open to investigate. Um, He didn't have an agenda. He had no agenda. And anyway, I just, yeah, I I totally fell in love with the guy as we were going through. And and then I read his, I read his book after because I didn't get it until after. And again, as I'm reading the book, you know, it's just, it's interesting because I think that his, his voice on the page is sometimes a little bit different than I do. I dare I say it's much different than, than what I, what I heard in his voice. Um, But he was, this is a great interview. And also, I love that also we started to, a lot of the themes that we talked about in our last episode, sex addiction, I really feel like this carries, like they're they're just really paired very well together. Because I think that understanding, like for me personally, understanding men's side of things, it's a really Mm -hmm. um, hard thing to do, but it's also such a rewarding thing to do. And this threads through. Um, JJ's story now into Mark's story um, of, of, you know, kind of on the other side, what a big deal it is to figure out how to be with women. Just like for women, what a big deal it is how to be with men. Uh, It's so different. Mm -hmm. So I loved it. And I really like love, I love this guy, um, which is so Mm -hmm. funny because I was just like, I I, love when that happens. I know I do too. You told me once. (laughs) And it was very telling. And I always think about it um, because you also, you know, you hate, you like, you didn't hate Rob Bell, but you're like, why do I have to talk to a pastor? And now you, you know, you <laughs> love Rob Bell. You, love Rob you know, Bell. there have been a few conversations that have been like that. And um, you, you told me, you said, I always hate everything before I love it. And it was very helpful in me for me to like understand you. Yeah. It's- <laughs> so I love these little turnarounds. They make me feel like I have a little victory inside me. Yeah, it is. It, you, I do have to say, you pick you. You are responsible for seventy percent of who we interview. Um, I there's a few that I really push, but for the most part, it's it's you, and you have you have just impeccable taste when it comes to to it. So I I trust your judgment, and yeah, this is this is another big win and hit. So yeah, everybody go get his book and um, listen the, to this first, and then go get his book. Yeah. All right. Here's Mark. Hey, Mark. Hey, guys. Good to be Hello. here. Thank you. Hello. Yeah. So, um, so we are just talking before we officially started, and I want you to f- just start by. We don't usually go right into it, but I want you to start by talking about the book, your book, your first book, right? Uh, yeah. First big published book it's gonna be in bookstores and all that jazz um yeah I, i've written i've written things before but i've you know i've i've just kind of like thrown it up myself on right. my website um but yeah this is like a first capital b book um 
So the title is, it's called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, uh, a counterintuitive approach to living a good life. And um, I mean, obviously took that from like, from what I'm guessing is maybe the most popular piece that you've written. Yeah. The title comes from a really popular article I had a couple years ago. Um, And yeah, essentially the book is, it's an attempt to approach kind of personal development or personal growth. Uh, from a different angle, from an angle of, I almost refer to it almost as like negativity, like um, <laughs> dealing with suffering, dealing with struggle, embracing it, accepting it, um, becoming comfortable with it, mm-hmm. um, um, becoming comfortable with one's problems, choosing one's own problems, uh, instead of always kind of trying to run away and feel good all the time. It's it's more about um becoming comfortable and feeling bad occasionally. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I think you I think that's why I first gravitated toward your writing is that you you know, it was a lot about stop trying to be so happy and stop, you know, get used to it. and I think even just with talking about sort of the work that you want to do, you know, finding your purpose or the most important question you could ask is what are you willing to suffer for? Right. Yeah, totally. And um, and it, it's I, I feel like there's kind of this uh, our, our culture, especially with, you know, Facebook and social media and everything. There's this I, I talk about it in the first chapter, but there's this since we're constantly exposed to all this kind of like amazing stuff that's going on, you know, anytime you get on Facebook, like nine more people have gotten married and like <laughs> five people have had kids. Um <laughs> That there's there's this kind of unspoken sense that it's not okay for things to be shitty occasionally. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't it doesn't because everywhere you look now, you're just constantly confronted with stuff that's amazing. So yep. and and ninety nine percent of our life is not amazing. It's pretty mundane, it's repetitive, it's boring, we feel bad about stuff and and uh mm-hmm. so we've kind of lost the the argument I make is that we've lost the ability to be okay with that. Yeah. Like, yeah. You don't know how to accept that. Anymore, and that's hurting us. Yeah. I mean, I would argue that that's, you know, a lot of what we talk about on, on this, on this show. Uh, and a lot of why Holly and I are here is, you know, this is primarily a show about recovery from addiction, which is pretty much the ability to learn how to be uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how to be uncomfortable with your humanness and sit through pain and and all of that. So, um, what do you talk about the relationship stuff and love stuff in your book? So I do have, I have one chapter. Um, it's funny. I'll give you guys an exclusive, but I, I want to write a, a, another book. I want to write like a sequel to this. Um, and it would be the, uh, the quote unquote, the relationship book. Um, I love it. But uh, there is a chapter in this one. I believe it's called the uh, the power of saying no, um, and it's mm-hmm. and it's all about uh, relationships and actually how important it is to um, become good at conflict and become good at disagreement. You know, like one of the arguments I make is. If you're in a relationship and it's not okay for you to say no to your partner and it's not okay for your partner to say no to you, um, there's no trust there. You can't actually like 
build any kind of mutual trust and respect. Like the only way a, a really healthy interchange can go on is is when both of you are comfortable asserting, saying like, no, I'm not okay with this. No to anything. No to to whatever. No to anything. No yeah. To- because I think what, where a lot of relationships go go wrong is either one or both people is constantly trying to please the other, and um, and really, it's if you respect and love your partner as an equal, then you respect you should respect their ability and their right to uh, say no, to disagree, or to not mm-hmm. want to do something. Yeah, and um, and that's really, really, really hard for some people because. Uh, a lot of us, we take it very personally. So we say like, oh my God, you, you said no to me. That means you don't love me anymore. And we freak out and we overreact. Um, or a lot of other times say, oh no, I can't say no to my partner because then that means that I don't love him or her or I yeah. don't, don't truly appreciate him or her. And, and the irony is that this is actually what a healthy relationship is, is, is two people that respect the other person's boundaries and, and love the other person um, regardless of, you know, wh- whatever, you know, loves the other person's needs for whatever they are. Yeah. Um, and, and so the book is kind of just full of all, a lot of these kind of backward concepts that uh, a lot of people don't think about. Yeah. So how, <laughs> how did you, with all of this, but I mean, I know a little bit about your story. I at least know what you provide, you know, what you put mm-hmm. out there. But you kind of say, like, look, I discovered all this and I got into it so much because I fucked up so much myself and I made up all the, you know I made just I made messes of things myself sure so what I mean I guess I'm asking you know how'd you come to be this this guy like what led you to this point where you're now writing this book um, um I sometimes wonder that myself um it's um so I I mean just to give a little bit of background on myself, yeah. I I came from uh, you know broken home, dysfunctional family, uh, lived alone with my mom. Uh, like money was okay, but just emotionally, like things were not okay in sh- in the shitter. Yeah, where uh, was that? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Austin, Texas. Okay, that's right. Um, I got a. I started like smoking and drinking when I was uh, eleven or twelve. Um, actually, got arrested when I was thirteen. The story about that is in the book. Um, for what? <laughs> for selling marijuana. Get out. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I was a very rebellious and angry kid. Um, managed to. I actually went to music school, and then um, eventually managed to go to. Uh, to a good university, but uh, I uh, around the time when I was like 19 or 20, I got really, really into self-development and kind of the self-help world and went to some seminars and got really into like, you know, Tony Robbins and Eckhart Tolle and all these people and um, just read and read and read and, and got really into psychology and a lot of that kind of stuff. Because um, you were in pain? Were you seeking? Yeah, I mean... I was, it, it's funny, I, I mean, I think unconsciously I still was. I mean, I, I look back at my teenage years and I think I was just, like, life sucked. Like, I didn't, I just didn't really enjoy 
anything that was going on. And so I escaped a lot. I escaped mostly through video games and, and then getting high with my friends. And then, mm-hmm. uh, but in my 20s, I think once I was kind of given independence, um, I felt a lot better, but I was still, I, I like the word you use, I was seeking. Like I was trying to constantly prove something to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was one of those people who was like, you know, would read seven books on happiness and be like, I need to be a happier person. I'm going to wake up at 6 a.m. and I'm going to meditate for 10 minutes and I'm going to write down every goal I have and I'm going to do all this. Yeah. And I got really, really into that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, I was just kind of a very, I, I was what I would refer to now as like a compulsive self-improver. Yeah, um, I get that. And I was, yeah, and I was also, and then, and I, I gave up kind of all the the drugs, but I, I started partying a lot, and I I got, I just became this, like, player. I just chased women. That was my outlet, was just chasing women all the time, and uh, that was my escape. And um, I went through six or seven years of this, and in 2007, I decided to, I read The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, and I decided to started an online business and I actually started a few different like websites and, and online businesses and started doing some freelance work. Um, what were the businesses or what was like? So I, I had a bunch, I had a bunch. I, I, I had a feeling some, these were like good. Yeah. These they're, they're not good. Um, so most, most of the stuff I did, it's referred to as like affiliate marketing. So, um, I would come up with like, so you could like program like WordPress sites. This is get really nerdy about it. I'll make it quick. You could like program WordPress sites, like scrape like news items off of Twitter uh, and then like repost articles and stuff. And then you just plaster ads all over and you can like kind of siphon traffic off Twitter and then get ad impressions and you make like 10, it's all like, you're basically spamming people, but you make like $10 a day. And I was trying, I was like 24. I wanted to travel. The The Great Recession just hit. So like there was yep. no jobs out there. And I just wanted to like make enough money, like go live in South America or something. Yeah. And, um, and so I started a bunch of these projects like this. Um, and... Most of them, some of them made a little bit of money. Most of them failed after a few months. Um, the only one that kind of stuck was I was creating uh, dating advice sites, and then I was selling, doing like affiliate sales for like other people's books. <laughs> and um, and at the time, like the big rage in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, was like, it, if you want to get traffic, if you want to like, you know, get people to come to your website and buy something, uh, you need to start a blog. Yep. And um so I was like, okay, I guess I'll start a blog and I'll start writing about like <laughs> I'm I, not laughing at you. I just I I think that's funny because it's like how things happen these I know, weird I know. ways. I know. And it's uh it's so I'm sitting there like I was staying up, you know, I'm like five days a week, like five key things to do on a first date, you know, like three <laughs> oh, three, God. three ways to get him to call you back. You know, I was like and, and it's like I I didn't like it to, to me it was just a job again like back then it was like I just want enough money to travel and like go out and party as much as I wanted and yeah. um didn't have a care in the world and um 
and actually like the blogging thing started to to kind of take off and and I discovered that I actually really enjoyed it like I started to notice that I'm a pretty crappy marketer I'm a I hate sales like I hate pitching stuff to people and but I I like to write and apparently I was pretty good at it like people liked it so I just kind of kept going with it and I started getting emails from people saying like well th- I have this problem and I have this problem and no oh, my my ex left me for some other guy and now he's doing this and uh, and so I'd write an article about it and um slowly it kind of turned into its own thing so by 2011 2012 um I I decided to kind of like go all in on it you know and um and here i am today so can i okay i want to go back so these the woman the sort of chasing women thing Mm -hmm. and the because you kind of you're like yeah i did that for seven years and then next (laughs) like what did that look like because a lot of your good stuff i think is about that about relationships and what's healthy and what's not and what's toxic and what's not and um, you know, the the whole fuck yes and fuck no and boundaries and all that. So what, yeah. I mean, you don't have to tell us all your dirty secrets and stories, <laughs> but, you know, what did that look like? And, how, and most, like, I want to know uh, how you felt about it and why eventually it was, like, wore out. Like, you obviously stopped working um, for you. Well, I, it was definitely, I think it was a process. So, um... I mean, I, I always had, looking back, I mean, everything I'm going to tell you here, it took me 10 years to figure out for myself. But, right. You know, so I wasn't aware of all this stuff as it was happening. But, I mean, looking back, um, I always had major intimacy issues coming from my, my family and my upbringing, um, my parents' divorce and everything. Like, I I had major emotional problems around commitment, intimacy, trusting people, things like that. Um, I had a, a first girlfriend, you know, when I was like 18 or 19. Um, she, things like failed. She was just as damaged as I was and things failed spectacularly. <laughs> um, and it kind of, uh, we, she and I broke up around the time I turned 21. And, and so I started going out to bars a lot with some of my college buddies and, and this whole new world of like, wow, I can get drunk and find a cute girl who's also like drunk and we can and, do and that dance and do and, and, we, and we could do the whole hookup thing. And mm-hmm. to me, it was um, there was something just very addictive about that. Like it, mm-hmm. I think I think it pushed, you know, like like drugs and stu- substances for me. It never. I always enjoyed them, but it never. It never pushed that button for me that, like... Got you all the way there. Yeah, it was like, oh, God, I need more of that. Like, I I could do... I could go on, like, a crazy weekend bender and then come out of it and be like, well, that was a lot of fun, and then go back to my normal life. But for some reason, the whole hookup thing, um, it was just this... It it pressed... it, It poked all of my insecurities and, like, really deep traumas or whatever... Um, that I couldn't get enough of it. I went crazy. Mm. And and the thing is, is when you're a guy, I mean, keep in mind too, this is like 10, 11 years ago. Um, so it's 2005, you're a guy who's 21 years old and you're going around, you're spending like five nights a week in bars chasing girls and getting laid a lot. Like, 
the culture around you, like college culture, is everybody's going to tell you that you're the man. Supports like, it. Yeah. yeah, everybody. Everybody's like, oh man, like Mark, he's such a pimp. Like, <laughs> and we should hang out with that guy, you know. And so I was in this environment that like applauded me for it, and yeah. it really kind of got out of control. I think a few as a few years went by, um, that culture around me like started to to give away you know people actually like went and got real jobs and drinking on tuesday nights and um and so i didn't have that around me as much um and so it kind of almost became it it you know and i started traveling a lot internationally around that around that time and because you for you because that's what you wanted to do right like you've yeah. lived in, you've lived you've gone to like something like 60 countries and you speak three languages and you like were chasing this all this other stuff too yeah i mean it was always i always wanted you know a dream of mine was always to travel and live around the world and and to experience all these different cultures and and the whole the women thing meshed really really well with that because if <laughs> you, you could leave yeah, and well, well, exactly that too. There's always a back door available, but it's you know it's like if you land in if you land in Germany and you want to get to know the culture and the people as quickly as possible, that like one of the one of the best ways to do it is to start dating Germans, and uh, pretty soon the whole world opens up to you. And so that kind of fed into it, and I think during those years. I was very much able to kind of convince myself that it was, you know, I mean, it still made sense. I was still young. Um, I was exploring the world. I was independent. But, um, and I, I kind of convinced myself that it was, it was, it was kind of like, I don't know, a cultural experience, I guess. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I still didn't really put two and two together that I was basically arranging my entire life around my ability to, uh, um, continue like scratching this itch oh my god this sounds like this is like drinking for me well it sounds i'm wondering if you call it sex addiction i'm wondering if you've like researched anything into that or and that's what you would call it or what would you call it so it that's it's actually controversial um it's and i i have done some research around this and and honestly like if you want to call it sex addiction i'm fine with that i mean some people call it sex slash love addiction because it it manifests a little bit differently you know there's some people out there who just they spend all their money on prostitutes and they can't stop but like the prostitute thing never never interested me because for me it was it wasn't and it took me again it took me years to figure this out but for me it wasn't even the sex like I could have really really bad sex with somebody but I would still scratch that itch because for me it was about that process of like the courting and the the lust and the chase. Yeah, the- yeah. It was the chase. It was the desire. It was the knowing that I was desired. Um, yeah. Ugh. And and that that's what did it for me. And so there were. I mean, and it's funny. After about, I'd say once I was kind of in my late twenties, I started to to realize this. I started to realize that if you you know if you put in front of twenty seven year old Mark two options, you said. On the one hand, uh, you can meet some just like, you know, say a sociopath woman who's very beautiful and will have sex with you, but there'll be no interesting conversation, there'll be no chemistry, there'll be nothing exciting. It's just sex. Um, 
or you can have like a really spontaneous, exciting night with a woman that you're like completely enwrapped with, mm-hmm. but there's no sex. Um, I would, I would have always picked the latter. That's what I was after over and over and over again. And, um, was there, this is fascinating. Was there, was there like a lot of, cause you said, I, you know, I arranged my life. Was there like a lot of dishonesty around this or not even like, I don't want to say dishonesty cause you were like an asshole, but just because you were trying to keep this, all this thing, these things going or these things together, like, was there, did you get to a point where you realized you're like, I've, this is going too far. Like, I don't know. I guess I'm just asking more about what it, what, how it, man, how it looked, you know? Yeah. I mean, th- there wasn't dishonesty and I've actually, I've been, that's one thing, especially in the men's dating advice industry. Um, it's been awful. Like, <laughs> I mean, if you want to dig, like there's some really, really disgusting men's dating advice out there. So for, for me, it's, it's, I've always been like very, very big on like honesty and transparency. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, you know, I was ever uh, intentionally dishonest. I, I would say I left a trail of disappointment in my wake <laughs> because I was constantly that guy who, you know, I would meet an amazing girl and we would have, you know, two or three amazing weeks together. And then I'd be like, all right, peace. See ya. <sighs> and I'd like just disappear. And, and, and I would never mislead them about it and I would never lie to them about it and they always knew I was leaving but it's just what I didn't what took me years and years and years to figure out that I think most people just who are kind of healthy around in this area like instinctively know is that once you find somebody and you have that kind of amazing chemistry with them you should be willing to like make a couple of sacrifices to keep it going. Mm. And, and I was just never willing to do that. So, um, for me, because it, you lost interest because it was like, not that that wasn't th- the thrilling part of it. Um, or just be like, uh, I'm curious of like why it was only two weeks. Like, and then it was, was it because that was not interesting after two weeks or no? Um, honestly, it was mainly just a fear of commitment. It was a huh. fear of giving it, giving it up, giving up what, because it's once you commit to one person, you can't run off and have that experience in oh. twenty more times. You yeah. Know, yeah, with other people, get that. Um. So, so yeah, it's and and it, it it there were actually, I mean, it was excruciating at times, and I mean, I'm I'm married and settled down now but i mean even like my wife and i when we started dating like i i put her through the ringer like uh-huh. a couple times you know she was extremely patient like she understood me so she was very patient about it and very accommodating but like it, it's um it wasn't simple you know like there were times where like i really liked the person and i was and i really could see myself in a relationship with them but it's i just couldn't bring myself to like kind of give up couldn't do it yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what broke that? Actually, um, so part of it was just I think growing up. Um, a lot of it was just time. I would say a few things. One was so when I was in my early twenties, and I would have all these experiences with women. 
I was able to kind of convince myself that these were like very amazing life changing experiences and that she and I experienced this bond and you know that we'll always remember and we'll always be nostalgic and blah 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 and and that was true with some of them but after after like five five six seven years went by, mm-hmm. I realized that like none of none of these women were keeping in touch with me. None of them seemed to really care what I was doing anymore. Like they all kind of moved on. And I I guess I had this very like rude awakening that all this stuff that I thought was very important and profound um, wasn't (laughs) that, that, you know, like it's that, that I could probably, you know, I could like get arrested and go to jail or, you know, fall off a cliff or something. And probably half these women would be like, Mark who? Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, that guy. You know, um, and that that really that was like a punch in the gut. That was like because I think that forced me to acknowledge that I'd kind of been lying to myself mm-hmm. about like how big of a deal a lot of this stuff was, or like how cool it was, or how um, valuable it was in my life. Yep. Um, the other thing that happened was. Um, I really started to become aware of, let's just put it this way. I mean, when you're, when you live, like when you, how do I put this delicately? Um, you don't have to be delicate. Yeah. Yeah. Not so here. Live, yeah, that's true. So living in the third world, like living say in Brazil or Thailand or something, if you're, if you're a single Western guy living in the third world country and you're going out to meet local girls, the first thing you're confronted with is there's just lots of prostitution. It becomes very transactional. Mm-hmm. And I've I've never, like on a philosophical level, I've never had a problem with prostitution, but you know, and in, in like in terms of like re like what actually happens in the world, it's just something that I always avoided. But the other thing that you're confronted with is other Western guys that are like way into that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so I met, yeah. And so I, I started meeting a lot of these guys who were Ugh. in their late thirties and forties and fifties who were basically still doing trying to do the same thing I was doing. I mean it was it was like it was like a Dickens novel where like I peered in my own future and I was like <laughs> horrified. I was like, I don't want to be you know uh, and so yeah that combined with the I guess realizing all these women from my past like that it didn't mean anything and it was unimportant um, it was kind of a double whammy and it really got me to kind of wake up a little bit and and I don't know just try to like be a little bit more mature about it Yeah, and then, and then third of all I, I have to give credit to my wife because like she is awesome and she she like I met her when I was 28 and I was just kind of like figuring a lot of this starting to peer out of it yeah yeah and she was um you know and I fell in love with her and she was I mean it was a combination of like just how much respect I had for her as a person but also she just seemed to immediately kind of understand me and be very patient with me like I don't know, like, I, and she and I have talked about this. It wasn't a conscious thing on her part, but she just kind of intuitively right. knew that I was sorting through this, and that if she just was there for me, like, was present, you know, not pushing me or 
She didn't right. need anything. She didn't need something from you at that yeah. time that you, or I'm sure she did, but she didn't need it so much that she had to push it. Yeah. Um, she and, would give it to herself or whatever. Yeah. I, I think she kind of taught me by example of, mm. you know, that, uh, Commitment doesn't have to be scary, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. So when you, so, so that, that was good. I think it's, it's interesting to know because you allude to, to things and you kind of gloss over it, but you don't really, not in, in things that I've read, you know, explicitly, um, you know, more about what that looked like. And I think I know for Holly and both Holly and myself, you know, you end up you end up digging into and teaching the things and talking about the things um, in our cases that you need to learn yourself, and um, that seems to be kind of the direction that you've gone. You know, it, yeah, it's, it's writing about these things and, and talking about them and sort of working them out on the page, which is which is what you say you do. You're like, hey, yeah. don't, don't take me seriously. Most of this is written for myself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so. So, okay. So, Hal, do you have any questions? I want to, I feel like I'm just talking and talking, but I'll keep going. <laughs> yeah, keep going. You're good. <laughs> okay. Um, so, I w- I'm curious about this. So, you get, I know you get a lot of letters. Um, I'm sure you do and have have for a few years. Do you get, because this is, you know, our show is a lot about um, recovery from addictions and sort of all the things that that encompasses. And our sort of community and our, our followers quote your articles a lot, especially in regards to relationships. Mm-hmm. Do you have people that write you, like, have you seen themes of either a addiction coming up? You know, I love this person, but they're, you know, addicted to this. I am addicted to this. And this is how I experience relationships, like themes where, um, codependency or boundaries or issues, you know, themes of issues that come up, um, around that and anything that you, you know, want to talk, talk to about that. I definitely, I've definitely seen, I definitely think there's a strong correlation between, um, addiction and, and codependence issues. And, um, I, I, I tend to take a view and I know this isn't, I don't know how common or acceptable this view is, but like my, my, my view of addiction actually, I think tends to be a very broad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, there's, I think substances is in many ways the easiest one to pay attention to because it's, it's so it's like very tangible and obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, but I see, I mean, I, I essentially what addiction, it's compulsivity. It's, it's this compulsiveness. It's this lack of control, like doing a certain behavior or pursuing some, something that is damaging, but for whatever person, for whatever reason, the person can't stop themselves from doing it. Um, and if you, for me at least, it's like when viewed in terms of compulsivity, um, you generally see that play out in many other parts of the person's life. Um, and there's actually, I would say that there are a lot of people who are very compulsive in other areas of their life, but they're not, they're maybe not addicted to a particular substance or, mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that, that compulsiveness um, 
often translates over to, you know, it, it was what I was saying earlier about the ability to say no and hear no. It's that requires a certain amount of self-control and comfort ability to be uncomfortable, you know, to not, to not just like push that bad feeling away to like sit there with it and not try to cover it up. And, um, yeah, you talk about that in, um, like just as boundaries, like sort of the definition yeah. of boundaries, like I, it's ridiculous, but I didn't really understand what that meant. Like I thought boundaries was like, you, you know, you, you learned how to say no to, you know, or you put up despite other people's feelings about it. And it's a little bit more nuanced than that. Like you did a you um, were one of the first people I heard sort of explain boundaries, boundaries in a real way. Yeah, and it seems like that's what you're, what, what sort of what you're looking at or talking about. Yeah, when when applied to to relationships, I, I definitely think that's a big part of it. It's because boundaries. I mean, it's it's hard. It's like eating your veggies or going to bed early at night. Like it's it's something that you don't that doesn't feel good, but it's healthy and. Um, and so if, if people struggle with self-control or they have a lot of um, compulsion going on, um, then, it, then it makes sense to me that, that those things would kind of yeah. interrelate. What other themes come up the most for you? Like what is the stuff that you get written to, you know, what are the things that come up the most, the themes? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> X's. Like <laughs> getting up, getting over exes, getting over exes, getting exes back. Um, and, and this and is I primarily kinda, from men, right? Like you're, you're who writes into you? Is it mostly men? Is it an equal mix of men and women or who's, who's doing the writing? It's pretty equal these days. Huh. Um, and it's funny because I would say, well, I would lump into that category too of exes is people who want to break up with their partner, but they're not sure, they're not, they don't know how to be sure about it. Like, they're like, I think I want to break up, but I don't know if I should, and what should right I one? say? Yeah, and um, and the funny thing is, is those are the, exactly the type of questions that I have no idea how to answer. Like, I don't know you. You, you emailed me one paragraph. Like, <laughs> how am I supposed to know if you should break up with your your girlfriend of 10 years, you know? Yeah, but the excess thing is really interesting to me. Like, how do I get get them back? How do I? I'm yeah. curious if there's a difference between what men write and what women write. Like, are women writing? Yeah. yeah. Like, what do you see from men writing you? And what do you see from women writing you? That's a good question. Um, wow, it's really... There definitely are differences, but I think they tend to be more subtle. I would say, if I can even zoom out a little bit more, I would say the most common email I get is people who are unhappy in their relationship situation for whatever reason, and they assume that the solution is to control what their partner does or feels, <laughs> and and then they want me to tell them how to do it. And so I would say with women... It tends to be my husband or my boyfriend is distant or he seems uninterested in me or he doesn't want to talk to me anymore. Um, how do I get him to be interested in me again? And with men, uh, it tends to be more um, 
I think it tends to be more just like not sex like that, but like I don't know. It, it tends to be more intimacy based or physically based or something. Yeah, yeah. It tends to be more just tangible and just concrete. Um, whereas with women, it tends to be more emotion. Like, how do I get him to open up to me? How do I get him to talk about his feelings? How do I get him to listen to me? Yeah. Um, whereas with men, it's more like, how do I get her to like me? How do I get her to have sex with me? Like, we don't have sex anymore. How do I get her to have sex again? Um, but really, really, yeah. it's the same. Really, it's the same thing. It's yeah. There's there's a relationship. Their needs are going unmet, and they. Want- how do I get love? Yeah, and yeah, exactly. Like, how do I get my partner to fill my need? And it's like, well, without your partner here, <laughs> we don't really have a, a conversation. Um, but yeah, it, it's that's the most common thing. It, it, and it's funny because, you know, as you guys know, pretty much every relationship-related article on my site, the thing I repeat over and over again is you cannot control your partner. You cannot, you don't get to decide what your partner thinks or feels um, you have to start where they are and just accept it. And, um, but yeah, the emails, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, what is, what is the, what's your favorite thing to talk about? Like, and maybe it's changed over time, but what's his favorite, you know, favorite thing that's what people write, write to you about. And you've obviously written about stuff like that a lot, but what do you like to write about the most? It's funny. I, I'm getting really into cultural stuff. And I think I saw I think, that lately. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, and I think this kind of extends from uh, the traveling, but it, it's been interesting to me because I think a few years ago, you know, so my writing it started with the dating and relationship stuff, and then it kind of broadened out to just personal development in general. So how to be happier, how to be pursue something you're excited about, etc. And I kind of feel like, especially with this book, um, I've kind of, I feel like I've reached a point where, like, okay, everything I could say about personal growth, it's in the book. You know, yeah, like, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't really have anything else to say. Um, but what, what's really interesting to me, because the book is, it talks a lot about values, um, which is essentially what we choose to find important. Mm-hmm. Um, and what has been really intriguing me lately is when you take a whole population of people with particular values. Um, it, I mean, that's essentially what a culture is, is a group of people yeah. who share similar values. It is. Mm-hmm. And so if you have really, take a, like a really destructive value, um, like say blaming people for their failures. Um, you know, like if, if I hold the value that everybody who screws up and is poor, it's because they're a loser and they're, they're lazy on a personal level. Obviously that, that can, that can like harm my relationships. It can, it'll have an effect on my happiness. It'll have an effect on how I see the world. But when you apply that to a population of people, now you've got a culture that's like dealing with real societal issues. Yes. Um, which I find fascinating. It like is. It, well, you know, and there's like, you can, you, you should capture the next, six months or three months, four months, five months of our country. I mean, well, the, even the example you just said is, you know, a, a demonstrable sort of attitude that, um, that people have in, in our culture. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I'm just saying you have no shortage of stuff to talk about right now. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Trust me. Uh, yeah, it's, I think their path, Colleen, I talk about this a lot. I think your path, that path makes sense because it's the path from your, your, you know, your, the journey always starts inward. Like you fix, yeah. you fix, you fix yourself or you work on yourself, you do your inner work so that you can bring it out. And then, and then you go out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it makes sense. And I'm glad that you're starting to write about that stuff because I think there is only at, at a point so much that you can say. Yeah. Uh, what are, who are your teachers? Like, who would you consider? Cause you've obviously, you know, you said Tony Robbins and I just, I just listened to, um, a podcast about his new movie. I'm not your guru. And I'm going to, I'm so curious to watch it cause I've never really dug into his stuff. Oh man. That's a whole nother podcast. I, 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 wanna, I've, I have extremely like mixed feelings about I'm really curious. Um, we can't get into it because we won't have enough time. But yeah. No, I want to know what your mixed feelings are about Tony Robbins. I yeah, think- or I want to hear, uh, give us a little bit. Okay. Um, here's the short version. And, and, and I just like to say that a lot of that self-help stuff that I read in my early 20s, um, a lot of it was very good, but I also think now that a lot of it was really bad. And so... Um, one of my inspirations for writing this book was to kind of like write your take. Yeah. Right. Write What I wish ha- was said and all these self-help books um, mm-hmm. instead. But yeah, to give the quick mixed feelings on Tony Robbins, um, he gen, I, I do believe that he generally gives very good advice um, and, and potentially life-changing advice. What I have a problem with is a lot of the marketing and business tactics that he implements, mm-hmm. and particularly the cult of personality that he builds. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a number of friends who have been to a lot of his seminars, and some of the sales tactics, and keep in mind, too, that these are like depressed, these are very vulnerable people. Right. Um, it just makes me really squeamish. You know, it's, I actually, I, I have a friend who um, is a, she's a clinical psychologist and um, I had, uh, I had some videos of like a Tony Robbins seminar on my computer and she and I watched them together and she called him, she was like, he's the Batman of psychology because he does a bunch of unethical things or good reasons and gets good results <laughs> you know like she's like she like she watched like maybe 20 minutes of this seminar and she was like there were like 10 things there that if i did them with my my patients i would lose my license and rightfully so because like thank god he's good but because like what what he's doing it could it, it's dangerous with certain, certain types of people. Yeah. I'm so, yeah. And I, I'm very curious to, uh, to, to watch the video um, or watch the movie actually. Yeah. It's just made the documentary about it. Well, I have an idea. I mean, I know exactly what you're saying on some level, just cause I've worked with somebody that's one of his like disciples. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. and I saw firsthand when it, when somebody's applying those tactics and they're not, they're not Tony Robbins, um, and what happens, um, which is which is totally catastrophic. So um, yeah, 
interesting. Yeah, yeah that like delicacy. You know what I'm talking about, Laura, right? I like, know what you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, and no <laughs> name shall be named, but it was, but it's, it's what I saw was, um, it, it was. I have not explored Tony Robbins um, after that, just because the whole thing. Um, yeah, it's uh, you're yeah, yeah, very like, well said. said. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And I, I'll say I'll just throw a bookend on this. Yeah, I'll say that I've I've become acquainted with a few people of his organization, and let's just say that they're not the type of people that I would like trust a family member's <laughs> psychological health to. You know. Yeah. Um, it's it's. I think his genius is in marketing and sales. Yep. Um, the advice is good, but what makes him absolutely brilliant is is he's a brilliant businessman. But that's him. not why people are going to him. <laughs> that's is not. It? Why, uh, <laughs> I, well, but, yeah, we could keep going and going. Yeah. Um, so, who are your teachers then? Hmm. <laughs> who are your teachers? So, actually, I'm um, I'm a big like literature and philosophy nerd, but. Um, the, for me, I love David Foster Wallace. He's one of my favorite. Not, not uh, he's one of my favorite writers. Period. Mm-hmm. But um, I understand his, you so much more now. Yeah, his nonfiction, like his, just his some of his like his his observations about the world it, are just absolutely incredible. And mm-hmm. um, I actually have his Kenyan College speech on my website. And to mm-hmm. me, that is like the best personal development. Thing I've ever seen. Um, I read a lot of. So this is the other great thing is that you know self help. A few decades ago, self help was kind of this, um, a little bit woo woo subculture that a bunch of people in California got together and, and created. Um, it's seeped its way into academia. So there's a lot of more science and. Yeah, there's a lot of really, really smart psychologists and scientists who are testing a lot of these things and discovering a lot of these things. So I'm a big fan of uh, Daniel Gilbert. He wrote a book called Stumbling on Happiness. He's a Harvard psychologist. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a guy named Roy Baumeister who's uh, written a bunch of books. He's got some really, really cool stuff. Um, there's a lot of research going on around happiness by a guy named... Diner, I forgot his first name, but it's D D I E N R E R. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's where I usually go. Is is straight to the the researchers these days. Um, I do like some self help books, but um, I just don't I don't tr- trust it as much as I used to. Yeah, fair. Um. I mean, I just wrote down these names. We'll, we'll add them because we always like to give a few um, links and stuff at the end. And I know, Hall, you have a hard stop. So we asked the same question we have now for all of our interviews at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, we're going to ask you too. So we, what do you think your job is? Like, what do you think you're doing here? What do you think your job is in the world? Why I was put on the planet? So to sure. Speak. Yeah. Like, why are you here? What are you doing? Aside from publishing a book on September 13th that's going to be available in stores. Yes. What are you doing? I, I was put on earth to sell my book to you. Um, <laughs> I think I think 
I have a particular gift. I think it is this. I think I'm very, very good at synthesizing information and expressing it in ways that are is very easy for people to understand. And it's something that I absolutely love doing. I love reading. Mm-hmm. I love writing. Um, but what I think I'm, I'm, I'm good at, because none of, no, none of the ideas I really write about is new. Like nothing, right. none, of, none of my popular, I didn't come up with any of these concepts myself. What it was is I took concepts that are, were very powerful and, and life-changing, but maybe were hard, were not, weren't very access, accessible to other people uh, and wrote them in such a way that they became very, very accessible and very easy to understand and implement. Um, so I feel like that's my, my big talent in the world and what I love doing most. Yeah, I would agree. You're a teacher. Yeah, there you, you go. A, you have a lot of words for it, but... Yeah, yeah, you're right. I'm a teacher. <laughs> Crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. I feel like we we um, got stopped a little short, but I'm thank you so much for for coming on, and I hope thank your book you. does fantastically well. Thanks. And for we will this um, you know this episode will go up. We will we were supposed to have read the book, but we not, we have not yet, and we will we'll talk about it when we do. And um, I, I'll send you guys. Thank you. <laughs> good. Yeah. Sorry about that. All right, guys. Uh, well, good luck. Thanks. All right. Bye. Thanks, Mark. Thank Bye. you. Bye. 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 B